Hello everyone, I'm Ishan and welcome to my podcast series on economic issues. In this episode, I will be discussing with you the tragedy of the commons. Tragedy of the commons is used to describe negative externalities. Negative externalities are the ill effects on surroundings and other parties due to the actions of certain individuals. Harm to yourself by smoking is not a negative externality, but the harm to others due to the passive smoking is a negative externality. Tragedy of the commons does not refer to common people. It refers to common goods. Common goods are defined as those that are highly rival but negligibly excludable. Now, rivalry is when high number of consumers compete for limited resources. Excludability is when goods can be restricted via either privatization or increased government control and regulations. So, the tragedy of commons refers to a situation in which individuals with access to shared resource, also called as a common resource, act in their own interest and in doing so, ultimately deplete the resource. This economic theory was first conceptualized in 1833 by British writer William Foster Lloyd. But it was in 1968 that the term tragedy of the commons was used for the first time by Garrett Hardin in Science magazine. This theory explains individuals' tendency to make the best decisions for their personal situation, regardless of the negative impact they may have on others. An individual's belief that others won't act in the best interest of the group can lead them to justify their selfish behavior. When facing the use or potential overuse of a common or public good, individuals may act with their short-term best interest in mind. For instance, using an unsustainable product and uh, disregard the harm it could cause to the environment or general public. Now, here are a few examples I would like to bring up which explain the tragedy of the commons. One is coffee consumption. While you think a single cup of coffee might seem very harmless. Coffee consumption is a prime example of the tragedy of the commons. How you may say, coffee plants are a naturally occurring shared resource, but overconsumption has led to habitat loss that has endangered 60% of the plant species, including the most commonly brewed Arabica coffee. Another example is the Grand Banks fisheries. The Grand Banks are fishing grounds off the coast of Newfoundland. For centuries, explorers and fishermen described this region as home to an endless supply of codfish. In the 60s and in 70s, advances in fishing technology allowed huge catches of cod. Now, following a few dramatically large seasons, the fish populations dropped, forcing Canadian fishermen 
to sell further to maintain large cash sizes each season. By the 1990s, cod populations were so low that the grand bank's fishing industry collapsed. It was too late for regulation and management. The cod stocks had been irreparably damaged. Since then, the cod populations have remained low and some scientists doubt the grand bank's ecosystem will ever recover. The same problem is seen with bluefin tuna. Currently, the bluefin tuna populations in the Atlantic Ocean and Mediterranean face a similar fate as that of the Grand Banks cod. In the 1960s, fishermen realized the tuna populations were in danger and an international convention for the conservation of Atlantic tuna called the IACAT or ICAT, or ICAT formed an effort to manage fish harvesting more sustainably. Unfortunately, not every nation is a member of the IACAT or follows the Convention's guidelines. Instead, many nations continue to seek profit from the large bluefin tuna catches every year without regard for conservation. Bluefin tuna have already been fished to extension in the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and perhaps the Atlantic bluefin tuna is also going to follow. When Europeans arrived in North America, Passenger pigeons migrated across the sky in huge numbers, and these passenger pigeons are my next example. As settlers spread farther into the continent, they began to clear the forest that passenger pigeons inhabited. This also destroyed the birds' habitat, and eventually the people began to hunt the pigeons for food. In the mid-1800s, they caught massive number of pigeons in nets and sold the birds in cities as a food resource. By 1870, nearly all the passenger pigeons had been killed. Hunting limits were enacted in the 1890s, but by that time, the passenger pigeon population couldn't recover. The last known passenger pigeon that was held in captivity at a zoo died in 1914, completing the extinction of a species because of unsustainable hunting practices. Now, ocean garbage... Uh, gyres are also an example. The ocean is an excellent example of shared resource that can easily be abused and degraded because it's shared by many different nations. No single authority has the power to pass laws that protect the entire ocean. Instead, each nation manages and protects the ocean resources along its coastlines, leaving the shared common space beyond any particular jurisdiction vulnerable to pollution. Throughout the world's ocean, garbage has, been, uh, has begun to accumulate in the center of circular currents. Uh, they're also called gyres or gyres. These giant patches of ocean garbage occur because many different countries allow solid waste to enter the oceans from land or ships. Destruction of ocean ecosystems because of garbage, especially plastic pollutants, is likely to affect every person on the planet as these pollutants cycle through the food chain. We could say the same with Earth's atmosphere as well. Earth's atmosphere is another resource that everyone on the planet uses and abuses. Air pollution and greenhouse gases from various industries and transportation increasingly damage this valuable shared resource. As an example of tragedy of the commons, the atmosphere offers some hope for a solution. 
more than once, international agreements have recognized the importance of taking care of the atmosphere. One example is the Kyoto Protocol, which attempted to bring nations together in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and slowing global climate warming. Multiple nations recognized that everyone had an interest in preserving this common resource for the future and agreed to look beyond short-term gain and immediate self-interest for a sustainable future. Another example is Gulf of Mexico. It's actually called the Gulf of Mexico Dead Zone. Sounds very scary, isn't it? Dead, dead zone. Thousands of farms are located along the Mississippi River and its uh, tributaries through the central US. As water washes into the river after a heavy rain, it brings with it nutrients from fertilizers added to farmland. These materials flow downriver and eventually enter the Gulf of Mexico where they create conditions for a dead zone. So it's basically a region of the ecosystem that cannot support any living creatures. The Gulf of Mexico has a dead zone because everyone along the Mississippi River shares the waterway without considering how each small contribution of nutrient and chemical pollution adds up to the dramatic results. We also see an example in groundwater in Los Angeles. Landowners around Los Angeles or LA uh, each have rights to use the water pumped up from wells on their land. This water is part of regional groundwater aquifer. Uh, so each landowner is ultimately pulling water from the same pool. Uh, as the city grew in the 1930s and the 40s, the amount of water drawn from the underground uh, aquifer increased each year to meet the needs of the growing population. Eventually, the residents drew so much water from the aquifer that the supply reached levels that left the aquifer vulnerable to saltwater intrusion from the nearby Pacific Ocean. Now, facing potential water shortages and possible destruction of the renewable water resource they depended on, the water users created a voluntary organization to discuss how to manage and conserve the groundwater for the future. There's another example that we all talk about and see on television as well, uh, especially when we uh, contribute to or donate to uh, Orangutan's fund. Uh, that's um, the unregulated logging. The tropical rainforests are a common resource that everyone in the world benefits from. In some parts of the world, vast expanses of dense rainforests aren't governed or owned in any way that allows effective management for resource extraction. Timber producers are driven to remove as much timber as possible, as cheaply as possible. The result is that logging irreparably damages acres of rainforest every year. Although some laws protect these forests from destruction logging practices, illegal logging continues, particularly along boundaries between countries where the laws may be different on each side of the border. Another um, area, you could say, rather than an example that where we see tragedy of the commons is population growth. Some scientists consider the expon uh, exponential growth of the human population to be an example of this tragedy of the commons. In this case, the common resource, guess what, is the planet Earth and all its shared resources. 
The world's population has reached a whopping 7 billion individuals. It's still growing. I think by the time I end this video, it could be 8 million and 9 billion. 8 billion and 9 billion, but 7 billion at the moment. This gets growing very exponentially. Examining population growth is a tragedy of the commons, as it illustrates that the depletion of common resources isn't always the result of greed, or is it? Just by existing, each person uses water, air, land and food resources, splitting those resources among 7 billion people, and this tends to stretch them pretty thin. We see this with um, uh, global traffic congestion as well. On all the cities around the globe, traffic jams are an unfortunate part of daily life. Congestion has increased over the last decade, with the most congested cities spread throughout countries like India, Colombia, Philippines, Russia, and even Turkey. Traffic jams begin, oh, I just forgot to mention Vietnam as well. Traffic jams begin to, uh, with each individual choosing to use public roads uh, in order to serve their own transportation needs. However, in densely populated urban areas, vast numbers of individuals make this choice at the same time. And naturally, problems arise. As congestion develops, cars sit idly by. You know, bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic destroys the function of the shared resources as an efficient pathway for daily transportation. And more importantly, individual cars deposit fumes that harm the atmosphere contributing to large-scale societal problems. In order to minimize environmental harm and preserve the function of shared public roads, individuals cannot operate purely out of self-interest. Well, one of my last examples is the, um, I'm going to bring my topic to antibiotics. Uh, the, the overuse of antibiotics and the rise of superbugs is also a very good example um, of uh, this tragedy of commons. The overuse of antibiotics poses a major threat to global health. When antibiotics are used unnecessarily, see, I'm not talking about the correct, appropriate, uh, measured, controlled use of antibiotics, but we're talking about uh, when antibiotics are used unnecessarily, they become less effective. They kill off the good bacteria, weaken the immune system, and also this leads to development of drug-resistant bacteria. Don't trust me, ask your GP about this. Or maybe the GP won't say so, um, ask some scientist about it or read some science journals that appear reviewed and they will back these claims. These drug-resistant superbugs have enormous potential for harm. With the death toll from antimicrobial infections uh, expected to reach 10 million in 2050. Various individual actors contribute to this overuse uh, of this common resource. In the medical field, antibiotics are overprescribed. Many patients request antibiotics just in case they have bacterial infection rather than waiting to see if the treatment is appropriate. And doctors sometimes, not always, but doctors sometimes prescribe antibiotics to avoid getting hit with the malpractice suits. So antibiotic overuse also has huge ties to farming, not just people, but farming as well. In the US, 70% of antibiotics are used for agriculture. Instead of reserving antibiotics for treatment of sick animals, farmers use the drugs to promote growth in the livestock and to prevent infections that occur in unsanitary living conditions. These decisions improve farmers' individual opportunity for profit to the, determined, or the detriment of society as a whole. 
So with all these examples and of understanding what tragedy of the commons is, let us now move our discussion to a few solutions to this tragedy. A potential solution is to affix property rights to public spaces. For example, charging a toll to use a freeway or implementing a tax for dumping wastewater could reduce the demand for those who act in the best interest of others, not only themselves. The tragedy of the commons shows us how, without some sort of regulation or public transparency of choices, or even um, a public transparency of actions associated with uh, public or common goods, there is no incentive for individuals to hold themselves back from taking too much. In fact, individuals may even have a use-it-or-lose-it mentality. If they are unaware of the certainty that the good itself will be depleted, they may think, I better get my share while I still can. Now, let's put this idea to the test. Are you all ready? Tell me something. In which of these following cases would you hold yourself back from overusing? Alright, so ask yourself. Uh, in which of these cases, honestly, or how would, would you? Would you really hold yourself back from overusing? Well, the first one, let's, let's say there is a drought. Your town decides to regulate the days and times that you're allowed to water your lawn. Now, how likely are you to disregard these parameters? Let's use another example. Your local grocery store, which has always encouraged the use of reusable bags, has started to charge for each paper or plastic bag. How likely are you to start bringing your own bags for shopping? Well, while you think maybe in the meantime we could dig a bit deeper, let's say if everyone in the community is abiding by the town's lawn watering regulations, you're most likely going to abide by them as well. You don't want to have a bright green lawn while the rest of the town lawns are brown, do you? Well, you, you, you can answer this. I can't answer for you. Who wants to pay a premium for something that will likely be thrown away? We're talking about paper bags here for shopping. If you're going to throw away the paper bags, why would you pay a premium for this? Or, or, or you might use them as trash bags. So charging for grocery bags has upped the stakes because you have now got some skin in the game. Chances are you're much more likely to start keeping a reusable bag in your car just in case you need to stop at a grocery store on the way home. These examples show how when faced with the common good, individuals can be motivated to cooperate through monetary or moral incentives or penalties. Sometimes it's a decision between incentives or punishments, isn't it? Now, while on paper, this tragedy of the commons should be helpful for both firms and individuals to make more sustainable and environmentally friendly choices, unfortunately, it's widely used to promote privatization. Now, Hardin's argument was widely accepted by economists and free market enthusiasts. The solution to the dilemma is seen obvious, and it was privatization. The privatization of the commons, you could say. But it was not, but it, it is not obvious, you know. Hardin's theory was widely adopted only because it seemed to convey the essence of the free market competition. Hardin's paper starts with, if you read the actual paper, the original one, 
uh, you can access it through a few public libraries. Harding's paper starts with the history of English commons, publicly held lands that were collectively owned and managed, and the claim that commons routinely fell prey to selfish human impulse to overgraze their livestock in public land. Or you could also say that uh, even non-selfish people would overgraze their animals because they knew that they were more selfish neighbors who would do so anyway. But this wasn't what actually happened according to a few scholars. This is not what happened to the commons. They were stable and they were well managed until other factors like for example rich people trying to acquire even more land destabilized them. This was seen, uh, is seen also commonly today in India through the exploitation of farmers by landlords who own the agricultural land. The farmers are not the problem here. It is the expansionist nature of the rich farm owners. Another error some claim in Hardin's work was to adopt a key proposition of the free market and that of you know, Adam Smith's that man is a rational being who always acts in his own best interest. That's what Adam Smith said. And then to assume that those interests automatically involved multiplication of personal assets. But what Hardin was describing was not rational behavior. That's not rational behavior. That is the purest form of selfishness. And there is, after all, a crucial difference. A rational being, let's say a person is rational, when faced with a dilemma of the commons, would be able to calculate long-term prospects and conclude quite rationally that some sort of short-term limit arrived through negotiation would be in their own interest. And in other words, uh, in the context of limited commons, cooperation is more rational decision than independence. Hardin derived his views from biology. He wasn't an economist and preferred a hardline version of Darwinism called, not surprisingly, and as you all know, survival of the fittest. But fit was interpreted narrowly and stripped of its social context. A lot of media strip everything of the social context nowadays, isn't it? Uh, that was done in the past as well. So Hardin simply assumed that when men came together without rules, violence or conflict ensued. He neglected the equally Darwinist view uh, that natural selection could just as easily select for mutual cooperation as for continual family warfare, a view that has been gaining credence among biological evolutionists in the past, the past few decades. He took no account, therefore, of the human ability to develop rules for accessing the use of common resources. So cooperation, that's the key word. Cooperation, when you look for it, is not hard to find. Fishermen in several places around the world have banded together to set sustainable catch quotas. The same thing is true, as Jonathan Rowe pointed out in an essay for World Watch, uh, in the rice paddies of the Philippines, in the Swiss Alpine pasturelands, the Maine lobster fishery, the Pacific haddock fishery, and many other places. 
The case could even be made that as long as settled communities remain intact, the commons flourish. The community merely needs to be enabled to protect it. That this view on cooperation and enabling the communities to protect their commons was also researched in the life's work of Eleanor Ostrom, a political scientist at Indiana University, who received the Nobel Prize for her research proving the importance of the commons around the world. Her work investigating how communities cooperate to share resources drives to the heart of debates today about resource use, the public sphere and the future of the planet. She is the first woman to be awarded the Nobel in economics. Ostrom's achievement effectively answers popular theories about the tragedy of the commons, which has been interpreted to mean that private property is the only means of protecting finite resources from ruin or depletion. Well, no. She has documented in many places around the world how communities devise ways to govern the commons to assure its survival for their needs and future generations. A classic example of this was of field research in a Swiss village where farmers tend private uh, plots for crops but share a communal meadow to graze their cows. Now while this would appear a perfect model to prove the tragedy of the commons theory, Ostrom discovered that in reality there were no problems with overgrazing. Ostrom has documented similar effective examples of governing the commons in her research in Kenya, Guatemala, Nepal, Turkey and LA. Based on her extensive work, Ostrom offers eight principles for how commons can be governed sustainably and equitably in a community. We would conclude our chat and our discussion today with these eight principles. The first principle is to define clear group boundaries. The second principle is to match rules governing the use of common goods to local needs and conditions. The third is to ensure that those affected by the rules can participate in modifying the rules. How important is this? The fourth one is to make sure that the rule-making rights of community members are respected by outside authorities, something we don't see much. The fifth one is to develop a system carried out by community members for monitoring members' behavior. The sixth is to use graduated sanctions for rule violators. I think the sixth one is very important. You need graduated rules, you know, sanctions for rule violators. The seventh is to provide accessible, low-cost means for dispute resolution. And the last principle is to build responsibility for governing the common resource in nested tiers from the lowest level up to the entire interconnected system. So, it is up to us what we can take away from the tragedy of the commons. Whether we call for privatization, whether we call for stringent government regulations, or call it a political agenda, or take away the aspects of exploitation explained in the examples and work towards cooperation amongst the stakeholders. It's up to you. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you to all of you for listening to this episode of the series on economic issues. I shall see you in the next episode. 
And until then, take care. Keep thinking about the tragedy of the commons. Come up with solutions. Share the solutions with me. Tell me if you see any tragedy of the commons around you. If certain aspects, certain uh, solutions have worked or haven't worked. And while you do so, share my podcast, if possible, with your mates. So thank you once again and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.